This episode of Feminists Without Mystique is brought to you by Summer in the City by Lori Wilde, Priscilla Oliveras, and Sarah Skilton. Witty, fun, and totally on trend, Summer in the City is the perfect rom-com anthology written by three authors known for their sense of humor, spicy romance, and fresh approach to falling in love. The three connected novellas in this anthology share the all-too-relatable theme of what happens when the highly anticipated plans when highly anticipated plans suddenly get thrown out the window thanks to unforeseen circumstances. For these three friends stuck in an unexpected citywide blackout, canceled plans open the way for unexpected romance, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Lori Wilde is the New York Times USA and Publishers Weekly bestselling author whose books have been translated into 26 languages with more than 4 million copies sold worldwide. Priscilla Oliveras is a USA Today bestselling author and Rita Award double finalist with a strong brand known for writing fun, sexy romances infused with Latinx culture, strong emotion, and complex family dynamics. And Sarah Skilton has earned fantastic reviews and a growing fan base for her solo novels, as well as her rom-com, Ghosting, co-authored with Sarah, or with Sarvanash Tosh under the name Tosh Skilton. Um, so these sound pretty cool and I am ready for my hot girl hot reading summer um yes hot reading summer (laughs) I think you remember that I have recently been dabbling um a bit more in romance novels with my Bridgerton series Mm -hmm. uh I mean not my Bridgerton series but (laughs) yours (laughs) (laughs) authored by me I know uh but it's just been like the perfect thing to uh get my attention away from gross people that we're talking about, like Joe Manchin or cancel culture, you know, apologists or all that bullshit. Um, just so nice to find uh, fun, interesting um, romance novels. So Summer in the City, like a three-part check it novella. Out. Yeah, Let's check do it, it out. Have fun, Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And as always, a reminder, if you're enjoying us to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us, it really helps other people find us. We always welcome feedback or communication via social media, FWM podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Feminists Without Mystique on Instagram. You can support us on Ko-fi, K-O-F-I. And uh, yeah, and like I said, if you like us, you can review us like Don't Panic Llama did. Uh, They said, listen up. These ladies are so great at supporting other ladies. They make great points about major political issues facing women today and discuss major issues of the day. Great job, ladies. (laughs) So we're great ladies is what I what I took from that. Thanks, Don't Panic Llama. Like, like the name too you know i like the idea of a calm llama no llama drama no llama drama <laughs> love it love it love it um yeah i guess we're just gonna i mean at the top what are we gonna discuss you know it's, <laughs> it's early in the morning um plenty of things have been going on we're gonna dive into more like political stuff next week yeah next week if you um we're, we're gonna basically focus on um uh 
you know, the title could and might be titled uh, Fuck You, Joe Manchin, um, Mm -hmm. or Why We Should Abolish the Filibuster from Feeling More Generous. But um, let us know if you have any questions, comments on the filibuster, filibuster reform for the the For the People Act, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, anything that's kind of like in that um, clusterfuck, um, because we'll get into it. I know I've had a couple of WCUs that circle around Joe Manchin. And frankly, it was really hard not to generate a WCU on him after his fucking editorial this past weekend about it. So, um, yeah, let us know. That'll be next week. A lot of the news too, sort of recently has seemed like I'm, I'm reading it and I'm confused a little bit. I'm a little like, okay. Um, where do I put this in my brain space? How do I prioritize this piece of information? Yesterday specifically, like I noticed that Merrick Garland is like moving to defend or like carry water for William Barr and the department, department of defense um, from a a case that has to do with E. Jean Carroll, who uh, accused Trump of sexual assault. And it's like incredibly believable and, Judges have repeatedly like ruled that she has at least a basis to bring this for this case forward. So that piece of news was just like confusing to me and a, a little upsetting. So I was like, I should do more reading on that. And I, I, I don't think enough has come out to really understand fully why they're yeah, doing that. But I don't I was, like it. I was confused as well. <laughs> <laughs> why is this? Why is this happening? But I'm sure we'll we'll figure it out, or maybe. Maybe he's under a, I don't know, mob mob boss thumb, you know? Yeah, or feels like an allegiance to some procedural thing, kind yeah. of like a Mueller situation. Um, yeah, that's kind of probably the most likely is that there's some sort of procedural or reason and basis for for him and the department doing that. But we'll see. Yeah. And then I know Kamala Harris like really irritated a lot of people yesterday when she was in Guatemala and said, like, I want to be very clear if you're thinking about making the dangerous journey, don't uh, to the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, And one of the primary criticisms of that is that there is like it goes against I mean, we have an asylum law that is supposed to allow refugees in. Mm -hmm. um, And just because we have an issue on our end, I mean, it's still legal. So it's a little bit like, Oh, I mean, there was a, I didn't listen to the full speech and people were like jumping in to say there was more context. Like she, it's a more empathetic speech than the clip that was circulating, but still it's, it's kind of, it's another disappointing, like befuddling situation. Yeah, I need to watch the the whole thing too because it's like there were so, definitely a lot of hot takes on social media that I saw of like fuck her, like <laughs> <laughs> told them not to like don't but like don't come here. And I think it was more like yeah, like you said, like empathetic and talking about like the dangers and mm-hmm. and all of that. So I think there's probably more nuance um, to it than it being like a great or an awful thing that she said, mm-hmm. um, as I think is often the case. But I will certainly um be watching or reading the whole the whole speech and then i'll form my my full opinion on it but yeah we are supposed to be you know a place where people can seek refuge so i'd love it if if that were the case Mm -hmm. yeah i would love it 
Um, but the uh, the main topic this week, forgiveness. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Chrissy Teigen and her uh, her bullying, <laughs> shitty, awful, mm-hmm. abusive comments toward Courtney Stodden and others like 10 years ago. And do we forgive her? What do we need to forgive somebody? Um and yeah, and all all that uh all that good jazz. Um so we'll give like a quick little background for those who don't maybe follow these things uh <laughs> so much. But um Chrissy Teigen, who's now thirty five, and that's only relevant because I think part of thinking about when somebody says or does something shitty is considering like how old were they? What well, you know? Mm-hmm. So when she was about twenty-five is when she made the comments. Um, people know her for honestly, her tweeting um, is I think a big part of her uh, her fame and how a lot of people came across her. She's also accomplished a lot of other things. She's a model, TV host. She has a couple best-selling cookbooks. She's married to John Legend, um, but she kind of like made herself the like every woman on Twitter, you know, mm-hmm. um, like a celeb who gets us. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and was really great at like um taking down trump in recent years on twitter and um you know which i think is is fair yeah <laughs> fair to do um, yeah so courtney stodden who um has come out as non-binary so i'm going to refer to them as they um so they came famous in 2011 they married a 50 this 50 year old uh, Doug Hutchinson, Hutchison, um, when they were 16, um, they're divorced now and it's like looking back and even at the time it was like, this is, uh, this doesn't seem right. This seems like an abusive mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were really mean about Courtney Stodden at the time. I remember, I remember them and I remember the just like brutal jokes and they were like, a, like clearly 16 <laughs> mm-hmm. year old, like who married to a 50 year old man. I don't know. It just, mm, regardless, mm-hmm. they were 16 and I don't think it's great to like mock children. Mm-hmm. Um, but Christy Teigen didn't just mock them. Um, like pretty much told Courtney to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Like said a tweet, like my Friday fantasy, you dirt nap mm, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, in a tweet she wrote, I hate you. Um, apparently sent, dms telling them to kill themselves um all kinds of awful 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 things also called uh farah abraham a whore who everyone hates in 2013 and then uh kivenzi wallace who was nine at the time christy was like i'm forced to like her because she's a child right okay fine like just a lot of um (laughs) a lot of shitty shitty comments like do you need to yeah Kravagene Wallace too for people who don't remember she was the acclaimed nine-year-old actress in Beasts of the Southern Wild you know it was just like a movie people liked she's a nine-year-old child Mm -hmm. child of color too you know it's just like what are you doing why Why? like what do you have again first of all what do you have against this nine-year-old clearly (laughs) and why do you need to say something um you know but the yeah the slut shaming that she did the literal telling people to commit suicide just like relentless fucking bullying even like going into dms like 
really 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 awful awful shit and she was 25 so it's like it was 10 years ago but it's also like 25 like mm, your frontal lobe's probably done now uh yeah <laughs> you know it's like i've certainly certainly made plenty of mistakes when i was 25 but i didn't you know call people whores and tell them to kill themselves either right and there is there did seem to be that fixation with killing killing yourself and um for her as someone who was already was in the modeling world that feels especially in poor taste is like there's lots of obviously um i think mental health and disordered eating there's that 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 probably i'm assuming i feel like i've read enough to know that models like face with along with the rest of us um just because they have a specific body type doesn't mean they're not like obsessive about their or have like disordered eating mm-hmm. she also said she tweeted um uh another one that kind of sucked <laughs> to me uh speaking about Lindsay lowen another punching bag of the oh. 2010s like Lindsay quote Lindsay adds a few more slits to her wrists when she sees emma stone she tweeted that in 2011 yeah just really going after like vulnerable girls and women yeah really 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 gross shit um and you know and like her persona has has been like in the more recent years like supporting of women and uplifting women and all all that good stuff um and she has apologized um for for all this um she said i'm mortified and sad at who i used to be i was an insecure attention-seeking troll i'm ashamed and completely embarrassed at my behavior but that is nothing compared to how i made courtney feel um and like definitely i mean it it screams like that she was insecure and Mm -hmm. that you know i think a lot of um i think of like younger girls and i think of that kind of behavior and like feeling bad about yours it's like the old cliche of like feeling bad about yourself so you take others down Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to, to think about the time, um, not to excuse her, but just to like, ugh, think about how fucking vicious people were like press and everyone. It was so, so popular and fun to relentlessly ridicule these, these girls and women, um, like Britney Spears, ev- like it was just the thing, the thing to do mm-hmm. to come after like any like these like femme women who didn't fit like who people decided weren't like cool girls they were you know they were silly or they were stupid or they were whores and it was just the thing and it's like I don't know if she felt like she had to come after them or she'd be to show she's not like that Mm um I mean there's no excuse for it but I do think we need to look at how how fucking acceptable that was at the time um, still wrong and fucked up and evil and made people feel horribly about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I remember like he- seeing and hearing these things and thinking, I mean, not the Christy Teigen stuff specifically, but thinking it was really mean, you mm-hmm. know, it was right. It's really mean. It's she was, you know, I didn't really think about Christy Teigen in the context of another unattainable, um, like hashtag goal for for women you know from the last 20 years which is like the cool girl like the girl who can have like endless pizzas and beers and be a model and she likes anal and she's burping and enjoying sports but also like so sexy and like can play video game you know there's just like this like other like kind of unattainable for women and also like just 
live your life. Like no one should have to feel like we need to fit that either. But um, apparently a lot of people thought of Chrissy Teigen that way. Cause it was like, because especially because she likes to tweet about food. She has cookbooks now, but before she just really enjoyed cooking. She says she enjoys eating. And for some reason, especially in America, we love a hot girl who loves to eat and like can't, doesn't show it on her body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of like something that Chrissy T like, you know, she helped. That's part of her, her persona that was cultivated. And it was, it seemed relatively authentic. It's like, you know, seems kind of cliche, but it, it, for her, she has her cravings book and I forget the other one. Um, but yeah, so she's sort of seems like someone who rode a wave um, in a moment where she could benefit, like she could benefit. And I don't know necessarily think it's like an explicit thing, kind of like when we talked about um, Justin Timberlake and his like casual kind of like um, hands off approach to just allowing himself to benefit from all the rampant misogyny against Janet Jackson and Britney Spears. Chrissy Teigen, it, it seems, was able to also benefit from knowing exactly who was acceptable to, you know, punch at and um, bully. I do want to. I think bullying is is accurate. Yeah, I call in this it bullying. Case. Yeah, it's bullying. Um, so who is who is who is okay to bully um, in the context of ten years ago, and. Meanwhile, effectively positioning herself as like an internet darling, but that just has its, it has its double edge because things have changed. Yeah. And it's like, we don't, there's still plenty of circles that love to, we haven't fixed the problem. There are plenty of people in circles who love to mock women um, everywhere all the time. But Mm -hmm. if someone came out and told like Courtney Stodden or anyone like to kill themselves, the overall reaction would be like, or at least the most visible reaction would be like, that, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, whereas back then it was like, Haha, yeah, they shouldn't kill themselves because I decided that they're stupid, you know? And right. it's, yeah, it's like Chrissy Teigen was the epitome of like, I'm not like other girls. Like, what's wrong with other girls? Right. Prove that, like, tearing other girls down. And yeah, the idea that, like, to have a, a woman with like a very slender frame who loves eating because it's like, it's annoying when women diet, but like mm-hmm. y'all need to let women fucking live. Um, so we have, so we have Christy Teigen. We have her saying really, really, really terrible bullying, um, awful, awful things that really fucked with people and really hurt people. We have her seemingly sincerely apologizing and kind of speaking to her own issues at the time and that kind of being the cause of it. Um, We haven't seen in recent years, at least I haven't seen her coming after anyone besides for like Trump and whatnot, which I think is a a fair target. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's the grown man who makes like who has made decisions that very, very clearly hurt a lot of people. Um, So it's different to criticize them versus just calling a 16 year old a whore who should kill themselves, you know, like different things. 
right. different things. He's also the pre- he was the president. There's certain yeah. specific public figures who I think are like open themselves up, not just legally, yeah. but like in a understanding of like what is fair game in the public sphere. Yeah. He's one of those people. Yeah. He also loved to bully people online. So yeah. <laughs> not that two wrongs make a right, but it's I think there are certain public figures that you can criticize for the most part. I think name calling is not the thing to do. I think Trump is a unique exception to that. Um, Even Trump, if someone said kill yourself, I, I'd be like, just do, do better. You know, yeah, like, don't do that. Yeah. I don't like body shaming. Cause it's like with those things that other people could be like, well then should I, or should, you know, because I have this in common with, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I don't think you should be like mocking someone's looks or someone you're telling anyone to kill themselves. But I do think coming after someone's character when they have very very poor characters is fair when they're president and you're coming after their decisions Mm -hmm. um is fair but yeah calling teenagers sluts and whores you should kill themselves it's like not ever a thing to do um particularly when you think about like what courtney stana was going through at the time it's just like oh chrissy yeah like you know makes me makes me a little sick to think about which comes which brings us to the question of forgiveness Mm -hmm. what i mean i think we both agree it's we can like you could make a spreadsheet of like different parameters like when did it happen how sincere on a scale of one to ten was their apology what have their actions since then you know Mm -hmm. but it is very i think case to case i don't think there's an algorithm but i do think that there are there are things to consider um when deciding whether or not someone you personally think they are to be forgived for the the crimes of their past Mm -hmm. Um, because I do think it is important to allow people forgiveness when they've deserved it or when they earn it because who among us has not done or said awful shit and especially when it comes from a place of like your own pain and insecurity it does not make it right at all but it's different than just being like a sociopath you know it's like it's a cliche but it's like hurt people do hurt people Mm -hmm. um and it's like a vicious cycle and especially i don't know but i mean i think 25 i think age is something to consider but i think it's not a get out of jail free card either you know yeah um and i think 25 i don't have a ton of um, I mean, it's not 40, but I don't have a ton of, of sympathy for like age in and of itself there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you gotta, you should know better than to tell people to kill themselves publicly when you're 25 years old, you know, personally, yeah. like, um, no, I don't know if this is going back and forth too much, but like Ellie Kemper, you brought up last week mm-hmm. um, that she, when she was 19, participated in this debutante ball that was not technically associated with the KKK, <laughs> but deeply rooted in uh, in some like racist institutions. Mm-hmm. And she came out and apologized and she even said like, at 19, I was old enough to have done my research and known better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was a good way of like owning that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Cause I certainly made dumb choices when I was never malicious choices, but certainly dumb self self harming choices when I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, I could have known better, but it's also, I don't know when you're 19, you're still, you are like, you're grown, but you are still figuring some shit out. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still, you're still processing. So it's like, I see, like I have a little more sympathy for 19 than 25 but at the same time, like Ellie Kemper said, like you, you, you could have known better. Mm-hmm. It's not a, 
it's not a get out of jail free card. It's but it is something to consider when we think about these these things. Yeah, because do we want to live in a world where people are just done, you know, and, mm-hmm. and are put in some sort of like um prison of of social media of a social media or like um of our own making basically and saying like, you are not acceptable to do business with have project, creative projects. You're not really, you have no authority to speak ever again about anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all, I think, no, no is the answer to that. We don't want to live in that world, but we also, I think there was something I was reading about, um, asking about like, is repentance necessary before forgiveness is granted? Um, or is mercy unconditional? Like it's a question of sort of in this world that we're living in where there's, I mean, there is some of these actions, these words, these going to these debutante KKK balls, uh, not technically, but they contribute to a, um, vicious toxic history that, you know, there's a lot of change that is needed. And so is it, it seems, you know, there's a, there's, there is hopefully good and like something cleansing in the moment to sort of say like, no more KKK balls. If you want to be in polite society, like, or polite society is the wrong word. If you want to be in like contributing to the progress, the progression of, of you, of society here, um, no more telling people whoever they are to kill themselves. We don't want to be in living in this world where that's what we're putting on, you know, especially teenage girls, but really anyone where it's like, we have like an un, unprecedented mental health crisis, or at least of the documented contemporary age here. Um, you know, let's not be contributing more to that, especially, you know, if, yeah. So there's that element, but then when there is a, you know, when there's a good apology, one that seems all encompassing, if you take into account, like you said, people's actions, is there room, is there room to grow? And, and how do we, how does that manifest on the internet too? Like there's always going to be trolls or, or people who think they're well-meaning and like holding everyone to account, that kind of accountability police, who will never let it go or who will always find a way to tear that person down. And that makes me, I I think it's, it's something that we can't really help, but it does make me a little bit sad um, because I worry that, that there will be um, just opportunities for exclusion of these people in ways that is just not helpful for growth and, the people who are doing the tearing down are probably more likely people who don't have anything really going on, haven't contributed to anything positive. There's definitely um, a history in the last couple of years, recent history of conservative outlets finding things about left-leaning people and leaking them or, or releasing them. Now, I don't think that that necessarily makes it, that doesn't, you know, they did what they did. And if it comes out, it comes out. And it's, it's, it, it doesn't really matter to me that it was found or uncovered or unearthed by a conservative outlet. But I do think we should, there's a weaponization of cancel culture that's coming from conservatives that we should take seriously because 
that we, we don't want to be eating ourselves from the inside out. You know, we can be better. We can, we can approach the weaponization of cancel culture in a nuanced way. And we can look at, we can take each person's transgressions and try to be empathetic. Like you said, see, think about a lot of things that come into play. Um, Yeah, exactly. And with Chrissy Teigen, it felt like there were a lot of people that were like gleeful that this came out Mm -hmm. because the thing, like, I think you can only be, it's kind of like Jennifer Lawrence. Like you can only be in the cool girl spotlight for so long before people decide like, Oh, I'm over her now. Mm -hmm. And I think with Chrissy Teigen being like outspoken, um, and often funny and, you know, like beautiful and all these things, people started to get like, Oh, this confident, like, "Mm, I don't like that. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And they were just waiting, waiting for a reason. <laughs> um, and the thing is, yeah, these her actions on their own stand alone as something to be incredibly critical of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if she had if she had doubled down on it, if she had um, you know, been like, whatever, like I was young, get over it. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I can't canceled, you know, like yeah. my mercy does have limits. I think a big part of the um accepting of you know forgiving someone is have they taken because it's like we we call it accountability culture not cancel culture it's like have they taken accountability for their actions mm-hmm. um and it seems like she has and you know will we also i think need to look at her behavior and stuff going forward um but to me it seems like i mean it doesn't excuse her actions and you know Courtney Stodden doesn't need to forgive her. Um, Fair Abraham doesn't need to forgive her. That's that's up that's up to them. Um, but I don't think someone needs to be canceled for comments they made ten years ago. Assuming they've identified what was wrong with those comments, they haven't shown a pattern of doing that recently. They've shown actions or comments to the opposite. You know, it's just kind of like looking at the the whole picture there. Um, and so I I forgive <laughs> Chrissy Teigen, even mm-hmm. though I've yeah, I find what she said absolutely vile, deplorable, and inexcusable. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, like, if I were, God, when I was 16, like, people saying anything mean to me, just like, uh, tailspin. Yeah. I can't imagine if, you know, someone was just telling me to, like, kill myself all the time and calling me, you know, it's like any name calling and I would just, like, wither into a ball because I was already so insecure and depressed and all those things. It's just like, uh, like, thank God Courtney didn't kill themselves because um, mm-hmm. they were very well could have. Like, they've come out since then and said how like, depressed they were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's the other thing I think to consider when thinking about forgiveness is like what, you know, if Christy Teigen, ha- if Courtney had killed themselves, mm-hmm. would would it be a different story about forgiveness or should it be or should it not be? Is it? You know, and it's it's complicated. I don't have I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about like Brett Kavanaugh and a lot of people saying, well, he was in high school. Yeah, but he didn't own up to any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he had a letter signed from women being like he was nice to women. But there are also other people saying that he, you know, he's been shitty. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, that's that's the thing. We've had a lot of half non apologies from. People like a season sorry. Um, I was gonna bring him up. <laughs> yeah, where it's like I, I forgive him more than Brett Kavanaugh because he at least like, 
he half apologized and he meant it half and uh but i don't fully forgive him because it wasn't it's like you don't get it you know you still don't get it Mm -hmm. with all your resources and time to reflect like why couldn't you have gotten to a place of understanding and really apologizing rather than this like kind of defensive half apology like i'm sorry she felt you know you wrote a fucking book called modern romance which i bought and enjoyed man like you had all the resources also master of none season three could have truly you could have just scrapped whatever plan you had and made it a a storyline where you explore me too and the complexities of dating in a way in which i i thought you had the capacity to do you know it's just yeah. such it was such a squandered opportunity and i was so confident that he was gonna apologize and all it would have taken would have been a real apology along the lines of something like uh, um chrissy Teigen, even or um allison roman wrote a really good apology to chrissy Teigen, hilariously enough last year when she was rightly called out for being shitty. Um, But it was shitty in a casually dismissive way that um, was, you know, she was lambasting, like, I think what it was two or three women of color who were prominent chefs to make herself look better. And her, her long apology explored why she felt she had to even do that, you know? And I don't, Mm -hmm. it seemed like she didn't, it didn't click to her that all three of the women were women of color. It was also Marie Kondo and someone else. Um, but it was a long apology, well thought out. And, um, she, lo- I mean, Alison Roman lost a lot. She lost her New York times gig and the show that Chrissy Teigen was executive producing. Cause like, mm-hmm. whoopsie, you can't insult like an executive producer on your in development project. Um, and I think it all came from just trying to position yourself differently. And your, her star was like on the meteoric rise last year. She was like the darling chef of the pandemic, early pandemic. But anyway, her apology was pretty all encompassing and pretty, and she's kept it pretty low profile the last year. I think just trying to like learn, rebuild. And, and, um, I expected that from someone like Aziz Ansari. And so, but I think, and I think we can trace like Aziz Ansari, Brett Kavanaugh to this broader umbrella under Trumpism of people realizing the way to successfully move forward in business and in politics and in celebrity culture is actually not to admit wrongdoing. Wrongdoing like or admission of wrongdoing makes you susceptible to consequences. And if you just don't admit wrongdoing, you don't face consequences. That is, that is Trump. That is Kavanaugh. You know, you get your Supreme Courtship, you get the presidency, you don't just don't admit wrongdoing. And that is another massive scale tragedy. I mean, we, and it's, it's global, like, you know, there's, we global leaders not admitting wrongdoing for various atrocities, um, on a small and large scale. Um, and it is infuriating. And I, I, I'm hesitant to blame, like to cast the blame in one specific area aside, like aside from targeting it specifically at Trump and at people who have, have weighed the pros and cons and have decided um, it is more beneficial, more savvy. And like, absolutely in my interest to just say like, fuck you pay me. Like basically like I'm not going to apologize. 
which is another reason why I think it's important that we work hard to create a world, an empathetic like space where apologies are accepted by, you know, or, and where people feel they can apologize and we make it clearer what we actually expect from people when they, when they have colossally fucked up in their past, depending again, depending on what it is, just admit, like, think about what you did wrong, acknowledge it, take some, take some time. But by creating a, um, a toxicity online on the left and this like purist culture of no one can ever make mis- no one can ever make mistakes. And if you said something in bad taste or, you know, fuck you, you're an ignorant asshole. Um, that just pushes people further, I think, further to the right, further away from, from the goals, the, 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 the understandings that we're trying to bring people to about progress and about, you know, different social issues. And like, you know, when we think about talking about non-binary genders, you know, especially cause it's pride month, there's like a lot of, you know, there, there are people that, um, don't understand. And, you know, while yes, I agree, they could just Google, you know, people put their foot in their mouth all the time. I, um, I misgendered Kofi's cat uh, last week, actually, our friend. Um, wow. I know. It had been a while since I thought about George, and I just had a brain fart. And um, anyway, um, but it, it. I think that these things like happen whether you're accidentally misgendering someone's cat um, or it's a, a larger thing. Um we have to, there just has to be space for us to move forward and for healing and healing doesn't happen when people don't even, don't feel that they can even, when they don't feel they can acknowledge the wrong in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And not not to bring gender into this. um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I directly Uh, did. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I do think, yeah, with like Brett Kavanaugh, Aziz Ansari, Louis C.K., all these, I think we are you know we've, we've made progress but i think we're a lot more willing to accept a flawed man than a flawed woman i think we're mm-hmm. a lot more quick to you know find a woman's flaw or mistake and that all right she's done that's who she is now there's no mm-hmm. room for nuance there's no and i think in, in recent years we had like more nuanced three-dimensional like you know women characters and things like that that show like oh you can you know be a three-dimensional person who makes mistakes sometime and also you know be likable or have you know redeeming qualities but i still think in general it's like men have the freedom to be complicated um whereas women tend to be judged by their perceived worst quality or worst decision um so i just wanted to throw that out there because i think that's a thing i do it's like a woman says or does one shitty thing it's like ah she's a bitch or she's awful whereas a man it's like well you know <laughs> he's under a lot he's, of stress he's usually yeah he's under a lot of stress a lot of pressure he, he boys will be boys he was young you know like mm. mm-hmm. um you know we just don't allow the same the same things men and boys have a lot more room for error and even though we are holding them accountable more so for certain things it's like you can't overnight um completely change a culture and the ways that we have internalized all of these things and all the shows and the movies and the books we grew up on where white man was 
was the protagonist was the person who had the, that we saw having nuance and um you know like i said i think it's getting better in terms of representation for for women for people of color for um you know people who are trans or non-binary or queer um but i think we still have a long way to go and uh i think we all individually um should think when these things happen and when i say these things i mean when public figures uh say or do shitty things you know considering considering the whole picture and the whole person and you know perhaps what you know biases we might have um when we're when we're thinking about it you know yeah absolutely it's a lot of um a lot of important conversations we're having a lot of important um reckonings um but a lot of the questions that we're reckoning with and a lot of the ways that the social tides uh like what is socially acceptable um have turned have been really dramatic in just our even our our adult lives so it's more than i think more than in past sort of decades looking at change um mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind too it's just like we're let's let's embrace the social wave of change while not Mm -hmm. like having people letting people drown in the wave you know absolutely and it's like and we all if you're a human being you have biases we all have biases i have biases maria has biases (laughs) i do (laughs) we all do but the thing is like studies have shown they are malleable we can change our biases so you know we can all we could all be better um and try and see, see people as the three-dimensional people they are. And that being said, there are some people who are <clears throat> evil, sociopaths, you know, yeah. whatever, where not everyone does deserve forgiveness, but I think everyone deserves a, a fair shot, you know? And it's also, you know, consi- worth considering who the, the victim or the survivor of the, whatever the person did, what they say and how they feel. Yeah. But yeah, it's a there's nuance to it to this forgiveness topic. There's no algorithm. It's uh, up to the individual, but I think it's something where you have to consider case by case and look at a lot of variables. I agree. <clears throat> and now for we see you. All right. So Mike Pence, I know shocker that I have something Ew. bad to say about him. What? I know. So on Thursday he described systemic racism as a left wing myth. Uh during a speech in New Hampshire by a Republican group. He took aim specifically at critical race theory, um, saying that it means that young children are being taught to be ashamed of their skin color, which is not true. He said it is past time for America to discard yeah, the left-wing myth of systemic racism, and America is not a racist country. <sighs> he also he went beyond uh, coming after critical race theory and was talking about, you know, the idea of defunding the law enforcement agencies. And he said that black lives are not endangered by police. They're saved by police. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Um, so, and he, yeah, he's basically said that uh, systemic racism isn't real. So I'm just going to list like a literal few of the like hundreds, thousands of examples of <laughs> systemic racism. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. with uh, probably about half of them having to do with, uh, you know, 
police and imprisonment and all that stuff. Uh, black Americans with college degrees are twice as likely to be unemployed. Black Americans with white names receive 50% more callbacks for job applications. Housing lenders have disproportionately steered Black Americans to subprime housing loans, even when they're qualified for prime loans. Statistically, Black Americans receive harsher punishments for the same crimes. Black children in the criminal justice system are 18 times more likely to be sentenced as adults compared to white children, 18 times. Black Americans are searched more than white Americans. Police statistically require less suspicion to search black drivers. Black Americans are 3.6 times more likely to be arrested for marijuana usage despite virtually equal usage rates. Black Americans are twice as likely to die in infancy. Black American mothers are less likely to receive prenatal care. And of course, uh, black American mothers have a much higher uh, maternal mortality rate than white mothers, even when adjusting for education, income, and all of that. So those are that's literally less than 1% of the examples. But just to have fucking Mike Pence come out here and say that systemic racism isn't real, that critical race theory is making white children hate themselves, just yeah. like, oh my God, get your head out of your ass. Like, it's so easy to learn these things and to see these things and to understand that it is real. Mm-hmm. But you'd, then you'd have to, you know, like address yourself and your flaws and, you know, maybe even mother's flaws and can't have that. So he'll just continue doing what he's doing, living in ignorance, preaching that ignorance to applause. <sighs> Such a piece of shit. We need these people out of power. I see you. We see you. Mike Pence, you shit. We- <sighs> God, we see you. Mike Pence. Ah. Evil lizard uh, man. Yeah. Oh, well, my we first we see you is also a repeat offender. <laughs> um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Mm, Greg. He's really been on a roll, Greg. 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 <laughs> um really been on a roll recently with his like near total abortion ban at six weeks. Um, wanting to uh, in, um, impose like greater voter suppression laws in Texas. And um, he's going to be calling Congress back into a special session so that they can get that done because Democrats um, walked out of the session so that they couldn't get a quorum on it, but they will if he calls them back. Anyway, um, he signed a law, I believe it was even, it was just yesterday or the day before, establishing the 1836 Project, a project that seeks to raise awareness about key events in the state's history. But the way that he told it, he said, to keep Texas the best state in our nation, we can never forget why our nation is so acceptable. I signed a law establishing the 1836 Project, which promotes patriotic education and ensures future generations understand Texas values. Together, we'll keep our rich history alive Mm. 1836 ah yes the period in pre-civil war antebellum south um you know this is a i know that the thing is i know that he's doing this to trigger the libs but like consider me a triggered lib in this moment because There was so there continues to be so much very real backlash to the 1619 project, which is like an award winning scholarly kind of 
compilation of all of these different, uh, all this different research and essays about why 1619 was actually um, a really um, important date in our country's history. Um, if we're going to kind of think about the role that slavery played in like literally everything about the development of the United States, um, it kind of reframes 1619 as an important date alongside 1776. Um which of course is like super offensive to conservatives. Um, 1776 is the only date. Um, but to try to, and 1836 was the year um, Texas was technically, I think became a state and was separate from Mexico. So it's, it's signif- it's a significant date in Texas history, like, that's why it's 1836 specifically. But I find this um, incredibly damaging to children. I mean, who are going to be the, you know, the next big battleground, I think, is in education, if we even get so lucky and democracy um, is allowed to kind of like continue past 2022, 2024, um, the next big battleground will be over education and what we teach children. Um, and Tom Hanks also had a great, um, op-ed in, uh, last week when he talked about the Tulsa massacre. We love Tom Hanks. We do. It was like full of learning and self-reflection, like about how unacceptable it is that we never learned about this like massive, you know, the Tulsa massacre. It, it's super significant. It should be absolutely taught so that every American knows about that event. Um, but I just find it very insidious um, to talk about promoting a quote patriotic education. I mean that 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 phrase in itself feels very nationalistic. Um, it's the type of language that breeds autocracy in the long run because it's not really about truth. It's about patriotism. And a lot of the time, those two things are in direct conflict. Um, so, and then we're talking about Texas values. Are we really wanting to like get 1836 and, and say like, that is the root of all Texas values when we, um, I think, I don't know Texas history incredibly well, but it's like, we took land from Mexico. A lot of people would say, uh, you know, it's not just like Texas just was born out of nowhere. You know, you're, you're, you took land from Mexico and you had slaves and, you know, there was a pretty robust, I think, cotton industry in Texas and certainly, um, yeah. And now I'm just like kind of riffing off of what I think is Texas history as opposed to what, so I'll just stop. But I do <laughs> think that, um, and I, well, actually one more thing that I'm pretty sure I've read, <laughs> that Juneteenth, part of what made Juneteenth so important um, is because that was when sla- the, the, the news that slavery was technically over finally reached slaves in Texas. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I will go back and check <laughs> learning. We're all learning, but we should all know that we should all like, I should know this. I just I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, I just, 
I find this upsetting. I worry that like other states frequently follow Texas's example. They see what Texas can get away with and then they like run with it. Um, And it makes me upset because for the conservatives who are constantly bleeding about cancel culture, the person, the person who has been canceled, she was denied tenure. You know, we talked, we've talked about this. Nicole Hannah Jones is the, like the, the main intellectual force behind the 1619 project. And so we have people who really put their academic careers on the line to sort of try to help us rethink the role of slavery very early on. And, and I hope, I hope, I, I'd like to believe that she succeeded by giving us the date 1619 and as much as conservatives try to resist, they're talking about the date 1619. So it is a success in itself. It's posited as like the, like the, the binary opposite to 1776 in terms of that strain of thought. So anyway, um, this is all to say the 1836 project from Texas to educate youth. Uh, we see you. We see you. Texas is, makes me all kinds of nervous every day. So I feel like something comes out from Texas. Like, yeah. Now we're going to legalize like what? Oh yeah. What? Like background check, no background checks. You can just get a gun at 18. No, matter carry, what. no, no rules. Ugh. It's going to go great Texas. Yeah. Um, all righty. Uh, so it came. So Fisher Price, apparently their executives, obviously Fisher Price is a toy manufacturer under, I believe, Mattel, uh, ignored safety warnings about their rock and play sleeper, even after infants began to roll over and die. Um in the now recalled product. So there's an investigation by the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, and they're saying that Fisher-Price did not adequately vet the sleeper for safety before they put it on the market in 2009. And then not only did they not properly vet it, they mishandled criticism of the rock and play before they finally recalled it after more than 50 babies had died. Um, so mm. the, yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of things that they, they did wrong there. So, the company's internal safety committee raised alarms about the dangers as early as 2008. Um, Fisher Price only consulted one doctor before bringing it to market, which is not the norm to do. And the doctor that they consulted was not a pediatrician and was later accused by the Texas Medical Board of practicing without a license. Mm-hmm. So they found like the shadiest doctor to be like, yeah, this is a safe, uh, this is safe. Let's do this. Um, they knew uh, Fisher Price knew of 14 infant deaths as of February 2018, which was still more than a year before it recalled um, the almost 5 million units that had been sold. They've earned $200 million in revenue from all of the sales of this sleeper that they not only didn't uh, vet properly, but that once reports came out, they were just they were just ignoring them. Um <laughs> So thankfully, last week, the Consumer uh, Product Safety Commission announced a new federal safety standard for products marketed or sold for infant sleep, which is going to take effect in a year. But I wanted to uh, tie this into um, in to Trump, <laughs> bring it back it to Trump. It all comes back to him. <laughs> yeah, back in March 2018. Um, it came out that Trump and the regulators that he appointed were taking a far less aggressive approach to consumer protection than their predecessors. They were delaying key regulations, imposing fewer penalties um, against corporations accused of wrongdoing. And if you remember 2018, that was when it came out to Fisher Price that does that at least, you know, 14 babies had died from their product. Mm. Um, 
And as of March 2018, enforcement actions had dropped from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, had dropped from an average of five a month during the, the four years leading up to that to zero since a Trump appointee took charge of the agency. So <laughs> I feel like it's all related. Um, you know, Trump was all about pulling back those regulations. A lot of Trump supporters are very into being pro-life, especially like when it comes to like babies. But the thing is, when you roll back uh, consumer protections, people get injured and die. Sometimes those people are babies. Um, so it's, you know, I know people don't like the government being involved, but when products are being sold, it is important to have rigorous safety protocols. So we see you to Fisher Price, who should have known better. And a lot of parents, I'm sure, trust just see that it's Fisher Price and they trust it. You know, they're like, oh, this is mm -hmm. a brand. They've been doing baby shit forever. You know, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so we see you to them and we see you to Trump and his appointees for just not like if what are you doing? What is your job? Honestly, Ugh, we see you. Ugh, we see you. And you know, like Warren is just going crazy over this. Like, you know, this is her baby, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Yeah, and, and her baby's killing babies. Yeah, God. Not what she it's, wants. It's not what we want. Ugh, I love Elizabeth Warren. Oh my God, I know. Oh, the ramifications <sighs> of her not being our president are just daily and annoying setting anyway back to governors who suck um florida governor ron DeSantis again repeat repeat offender here in our we see you segment Ew, excuse me bless um so ron DeSantis on the second day of uh, pride month uh vetoed money for mental health counseling for pulse shooting survivors um and also uh, reallocated money that was supposed to go towards um, housing for homeless LGBTQ plus youth. Um, so this was just frustrating to me, very pre predictable, but had to call out as a WCU because previously Ron DeSantis, at least, and you know, in 2019, he promised the survivors of Pulse that he would always support them. Um, and here he is uh, vetoing, he, he was able to use his line item veto authority on the state's budget to get rid of individual appropriations um, in a budget that had $100 billion worth of stuff. And so he went in and specifically got rid of the $150,000 in funding for the LGBTQ center in Orlando, and that would have gone towards mental health counseling services for pulse shooting survivors. It's like this is a hundred billion dollars, and he had the time to go through and get rid of that one hundred and fifty thousand dollar line item, um, and he certainly also made the time to x out the fifty thousand dollars that was supposed to be given to the uh, Zebra Coalition, who planned to convert a portion of an unused hotel into uh, housing for homeless youth, LGBTQ youth. Um, so you know, this is also kind of coming on the heels of signing two bills that were, um, that directly attack, uh, trans youth. Um, so governor Ron DeSantis having a real, real banner, um, start to pride month. Um, and it's a, we see you. And also a reminder to a lot of corporate companies. And I know, um, Aaron, you've talked like a, a fair amount about this, um, on social media and things, but, 
you know, it's not enough to just say like, like use the rainbow colors and, you know, have a bunch of merch that's rainbow colored. It's sort of like, no, what we really should be doing is spending our time making sure that Ron DeSantis loses his job, that um, corporations aren't supporting uh, uh, governors, sometimes states, depending on which state and like, but making sure that you are speaking out about all of these different, the anti-trans legislation and these, you know, lobbying to put these line items back in because it's, it's so, so little money in the grand scheme of things and would make a huge difference to know that just like, it's the very, very least you can do, especially, you know, DeSantis in Florida, who's all for literally everyone who can owning a gun, you know, and what happens? Things like the Pulse nightclub shooting. So it's the very, very least you could do is that small allocation for mental health services and an even smaller allocation for um, to help homeless youth. So Ron DeSantis, as as usual, we see you. Ugh, we see you. What a what a shit. Mm-hmm. All right. Speaking of shitty shitty, um, <laughs> so a retired army lieutenant colonel barnard kempter um was giving a speech at a memorial day ceremony um in ohio and he started in his speech he started talking about the role that free uh freed black enslaved people played um in you know basically the origins of memorial day honoring people uh formerly enslaved people who had died fighting in in the civil war and when he started talking about this, about this, you know, relevant history, um, his microphone cut off. He tapped it, you know, was yelling for assistance, just wasn't wasn't working. And so he assumed it was a technical glitch. And he said he just used his army voice and just kind of shouted it. Um, <laughs> and then once he was done discussing the history as it related to, you know, African-Americans, formerly enslaved people, uh, the audio came back on, which is what a coincidence, right? No, apparently the event organizers admitted that they had deliberately turned off the audio because the discussion of black history was not relevant to their program for the day. Whoa. Um, he did not receive any writing prompts. He wasn't told that any topics were off limits. And so he wanted to use this year's speech as an educational opportunity to discuss the holiday's history, which I think is you know, a great, a great thing to do. Um, and apparently the president of the Hudson American Legion Auxiliary who, who put it on said that they had asked him to modify his speech. Apparently what they had, so he sent them the speech ahead of time for approval and they just said, take out the history parts. <laughs> mm. Um, and he saw that and was just like, well, they weren't, I, I don't know what they're talking. I'm just going to say my speech, you know? Um, but they just didn't want the history about the contributions of black Americans um, because apparently that's not who they wanted to uh, celebrate on Memorial Day. Wow. Granted, you know, of course they were soldiers who, you know, gave their lives or were willing to for the country, which is sort of like the whole point of Memorial Day. But, you know, they don't want to bring race into it. Of course, of course. Of course, of um, course. Yeah. So I love that he just kept, giving the speech um and just yelled it (laughs) to people Mm -hmm. and apparently he said after the speech a lot of people came up to him and said that they appreciated it and it was moving and 
and all that. Um, but the, the the two event organizers are saying that one of them turned it down, but neither of them will say who did it. Mm-hmm. And they're like refusing to comment further. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he had his speech was his audio was turned down for a full two minutes. Wow. And he just he just kept kept going through it so we see you a big hearty we see you to the those event organizers at hudson american legion auxiliary in ohio i mean censoring (laughs) censoring just the discussion of his like true history and the contributions of formerly enslaved black people to to this country and during that war was just i mean it's so it's not even subtle racism. Um, mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. How is that not relevant to a Memorial Day speech? Mm-hmm. It is so relevant. <laughs> just the history of Memorial Day. <laughs> I. It's just, God, it's so blatant. And the fucking audacity to, to cut the fucking audio. Like, wow, y'all, you're really, really shitty people. Yeah. Um, so we see you to those Ugh. motherfuckers. It's disgusting. And, um, yeah, we see you. Gross. We see you. Ugh, to quote Oprah, were you silent or were you silenced? Exactly. <laughs> Ugh, that's awful. Um, my last we see you, I know I've, I've said this before, kind of along the like when it came up with Demi Lovato, just like shitting all over just people having different dietary options to fit their lifestyles. And this one is like another, it's, it's kind of a more abstract. It's a, we see you just to what seems to be very easy fodder on Twitter. Oops. Hang on one second. I got an alert that lost connection to server attempting to reconnect. Oh, it says that for me too, but it still is showing the recording. So weird. Weird. Let me see. I wonder if I... <laughs> Well, yeah. okay. oh, go ahead. <laughs> I just, <laughs> um, I'll just record and I'll s- see what happens. And if I need to re-record, yeah, um, I guess just one more. And then for good thing, do you want to talk about Simone Biles? Oh yeah, that's great. I was thinking cool. the um or something <laughs> or something else. I just no no no, no. had the, a tab. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, do Simone Biles. That'll be great. I was thinking like the te- the Texas uh, person who like. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Let's do that. <laughs> you want to do taxes? No, I, I don't. I really don't. Um, okay. I'll just like start this. We see you over a little bit. Um, all right. My last we see you is, um, and I know I've kind of gotten into this before um, when I talked about Demi Lovato shitting on diet, um, just people being able to pick different dietary preferences to suit their lifestyle at a like frozen yogurt shop. Um, but it does get my goat when it seems like people, um, make comments on, on people's dietary choices and lifestyle choices, because I think they, it's almost like it does seem like it's a, it's a bit of performative, um, like Twitter, uh, allyship or something. I think there's like this segment I've noticed there's a segment of people who think it's just like, it's a very easy thing to seem like they are anti diet culture and like pro body positivity or body neutrality. 
but it's just to get a ton of likes and it just shits on perfectly valid ways of trying to maintain weight, you know, weight maintenance or weight loss. And so I would argue it's not, uh, not contributing to body neutrality at all. And it's not contributing to body positivity. Um, this is just coming from someone who tweeted, there was someone who tweeted on Twitter um, and has gotten a lot of likes and a lot of traction. Big props to the branding consultant who was hired by eating disorders to invent intermittent fasting. Um, and I just kind of was like, okay, you know what? This gets very tiresome. It's not like there's a lot of research behind the fact that intermittent fasting helps a huge portion of people um, like get their weight under control. And it can help in some cases um, like reverse type two diabetes, the one that you don't get when you're a child, like it's, it it can help people get their insulin under control. Um, It helps people who are working out with their weight loss, with, with, with different, like with building, um, muscle versus body fat. But it also, I think helps people is just like a basic ass tool for weight loss and for managing like the amount of calories you take in, in a day. Like not that you are starving yourself. You're getting like the, the amount of calories that you want to have that you should have that's healthy. But I think what I think a lot of people struggle with, like, you know, I, I don't know. I wake up at six and I go to bed at 11 PM and I want to eat like, and it's hard to fit like the right amount of calories. So if you have the right amount, but you've, you've just structured it into a window, that structure works really well for a lot of people to say, actually, I'm going to have that amount of calories, but it's going to be within like 11 AM to 7 PM. And that's not an eating disorder. Um, and I know I'm kind of like wading into, something that's, I think, pretty fraught. So I, you know, it's, it kind of scares me to talk about dieting and weight loss, but it's just something that it's important to me because it, because as someone who is frequently trying to figure out how to, how to be in weight maintenance mode or weight loss, or how do I feel better with my body? Um, and I'm trying to find like healthy, non-destructive ways to do these things. And from a lot of just like layperson research, it seems like intermittent fasting is something that works. It's worked for me. Like when I, when I do it, (laughs) um, it's really helped to just frame like, okay, maybe just, I just try to start eating around 10 and stop eating around five. And it doesn't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's not, it is not an eating disorder. Just it just isn't. Um, so it's just frustrating to me. It feels like it's a lot of people have found certain, certain diets, certain lifestyle choices, like, and they just shit on them, you know? And it's kind of like, it's an easy one. It feels like, you know, it's, it's an easy punching bag that maybe in 10 years, I hope we'll look back and be like, that was stupid. And people were really felt like they could get easy points on social media for shitting all over specific diets. And really now, 10 years in the future, you know, we've decided it's really not appropriate to be like shitting on things that work for some people that are not destructive, but you know, anyway, so this is just like a, we see you to all the people on social media who feel like it's a really easy and acceptable target to shit on specific diets or, or, or lifestyles that, you know, it's a hard world, man. People are trying to lose some pandemic weight and, and it doesn't help to have other, to have people on social media who they are following or respect just 
relentlessly shit on any possible choice that they could make to make healthier changes in an easier way for them. So just chill the fuck out. We see you. (laughs) And now for uh, a good thing. (laughs) Simone Biles, queen of the universe, um, has done it again. Um, As of Sunday, she became the first woman to win seven U.S. all-around titles at the U.S. Gymnastics Championships in Fort Worth. Um, She... I be- either since 2013 or 2014 i think since 2013 she's only taken first place in everything she's done um so i know and she has a quote from um from early a few years ago where she says like i'm not the next michael phelps i'm the simone biles and it's just like yes 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 yes, yes. and she just like recently did a um a gymnastics move sorry i don't know the- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the uh, official terminology, but that like hadn't been done by a woman before. Um, and she's just like raising the, raising the bar, raising the balance beam. <laughs> um, and it's just wonderful to see her thrive and excel. And she's so impressive and just such, where's she going to go? You know, she's the sky, the sky's not the limit. Space is the limit. Yeah. Um, she's already in the air most of the she's time. She's in the air, you know, like, Jeff Bezos needs a rocket to get up there, but she can just fucking do a little flip, you know? So she's great. Love to see it. Love to see her um, succeeding and showing the world what she's capable of. And yeah, so way to go, Simone Biles. We are always cheering for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yay. Love it. Love it. Well, I think that's all for us today. Uh, Feminists Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Um, to find more more podcasts you might enjoy, including romance podcasts and the uh, 